Merkel Media. You think that I'm running in place? Y'all really testing my patience. Right before I blow up the spot, I had to get back to the basics. What if my talent is wasted? You see what I'm lacking to place me? Since I rap in the basement But my come up is legend, is greatness I don't care now, it's pedal to the metal I can never quit now, I will never settle Puppet to the game, I'm pulling strings like to pedal We in the same game, but I'm on a different level I passed it, gotta keep grinding till I'm laid up in the casket No fake round, but you feeling too plastic Yeah, y'all feeling too plastic They say my style crazy, but then it's straight jacket Whoa. Why you still testing my patience? Trying to turn me into something I ain't trying to be All the haters in heavy rotation You gon' lose yourself, quit testing me Don't make me lose my mind Don't make me lose my mind Don't make me lose my mind Cause I'm looking like Wesley, test me Don't make me lose my mind Don't make me lose my mind Run it back, nation. What is good? It is I, DJ Eastwood. Run it back, Philly. No frauds, no fanboys. Never, ever, ever, ever any intros. That was not an intro. That was a figment of your imagination. Uh, Today on the show, I got the one and only Trill Bro Dude from the You Know Ball podcast, ladies and gentlemen. What's going on? Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, how you feeling? I feel all right, despite the news. Two injury things that we got today. One, uh, I guess, semi-positive for the Sixers in terms of Steph Curry being out for tomorrow. And uh, my my favorite player, Tyrese Maxey, sounds like he's going to be out a little longer. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, you know, it's... Overall, the vibes have shifted a little bit. The, the, they're trending in a positive direction. I would are say. they after after the Kings game? It took one game, one game with a little bit of ball movement, and we're happy. I mean, look, I've said on my podcast plenty of times that I don't really take all that much about results of games from the regular season into consideration. I look for things that are good process. Like, like yeah. we're Sixers fans, we have to trust the process, right? Oh. Like, you you got. Ball movement in that game. You had the team running in that game. You had that team hustling in that game in a way that we have not seen since we acquired James Harden, which is, I think, part of Harden's play style, part of Embiid's play style, and also the fact that you know they they have two of like the low. I don't know if you saw that uh, graphic that was going around Twitter, but it was basically like they have two. Literally, they are the two like most like slow slash stand around players in the NBA. So that was at least encouraging, uh, especially when, when everyone's getting involved, even when you have PJ and Thibel starting and the offense doesn't look terrible, I'll take the positives that I can get, but everything looks great when you're shooting the way that the Sixers have over the last few games. Like that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. The ball goes in the hoop, fixes a lot of things. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so trending in the positive direction, but I won't take too much from it. Yeah. Um, the injury thing, man, you know, it, it's still Philly sports at the end of the day. Uh, you know, the, the sports gods are going to give us a little bit, a little taste of, 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 of greatness. 
and then they're just going to stab us in the soul uh, eventually. We just we just know it's coming. I mean, at, like this level of injuries on this team all at the same time. That's something that definitely nobody saw coming. But uh, you know, none of them are serious. We're going to have the whole squad back uh, sometime soon. Anyway, before we get really into the into the stuff, uh, I need everybody here to hit the like button on the show. That's how you push these video streams through the YouTube algorithm so we can get up there with Stephen A. Smith and all the other companies that pay them a lot of money to be at the top. I'm calling you out. You're not listening, but uh, uh, yeah, and listen to Run It Back Philly on Apple Podcasts and all other podcast platforms in beautiful mastered audio and subscribe to the You Know Ball podcast because you just can't get enough Sixers, man. If you're tired of hearing me with the same Fire Glenn stuff over and over, go listen to someone else. Maybe <laughs> maybe Trill has uh, a little bit of a different perspective for you. I don't. <laughs> all right. When it comes to that one subject, let's say. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're going to start with uh, the Tyrese Maxi update that came out today. Um, and I was going to put it on the screen and it's gone now. Uh, it was a Rich Hoffman tweet. Here it is. I found it. Uh, no, that's about him practicing. Um, either way. We love Rich. Yeah. Rich, Rich had that quote from Doc earlier. Yeah, that's what I wanted, and I effing lost it. Um, I'll just go to Rich Hoffman and scroll through his stuff. I don't think he tweets that much, does he? Nah. Uh, Rich doesn't post. Yeah, he's, not, he's, not, he's not terminally online like me. All right, we found it. There it is. Uh, Doc Rivers on Tyrese Maxey's rehab is nowhere near where we thought. <laughs> that sucks, dude. That's a good start. Nowhere <laughs> near. Like, how can I be... Like, how in answering a question, Glenn Rivers, can I be the most extreme possible? Like, he couldn't just ease into it. He had to just kill us. Yeah, he's nowhere near where we thought he was going to be. And he said, whatever he has to do, he's nowhere near it. So I would say he's out at least a couple more weeks, and I'm making that up. But I can't imagine him playing any time in the next couple of weeks. That sucks because... It was listed a month, and I think exactly a month was like December 12th, 14th, something like that. And yeah. uh, so we're like, oh, you know, he's going to come back soon. And the difference between his injury and James Harden's injury, one was a strained tendon, and one is a, a, a hairline fracture. Am I right about that? So Maxi has an actually like a fractured bone in his foot. Yeah, I believe so. I believe that's the case. And that scares me a little bit. I mean, he's not. He's not seven two two eighty, but Joel Embiid had the fractured foot, and that was a a long, long, long rehab process. Um, and yeah. somebody somebody that moves like Maxi and is as shifty as him and plants and cuts and all that stuff, man, that can be lingering. So you know, it's tough. It's tough, but part of me thinks they're just being super precautious with Maxi as well. I mean, I kind of look at it like. If your best players, if you, if you were to rank like the six or six best players this season, right? Four of those players would be guards, right? You would go some combination of Harden and Bede, Maxi, uh, Melton, Shake, Tobias. Like, yeah. I think that those would be your six best players from this season. And the fact that the Sixers are now in a very weird circumstance where it's the first time 
in the history of the Sixers where they're actually deep at the guard position. Bro. <laughs> incredibly thin on the wing. I don't know but, if you were I don't know if you were following me a, a, when I first a couple years ago, but I literally got known for screaming where are the guards? Like people wanted me to yeah. put it on t-shirts. I was screaming where are the We were starting five forwards. I couldn't believe what I was, it was watching. Insane. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I, I mean we used to joke like th- there was a 10-year period where we didn't have anyone who had the combination of dribble, shoot and pass. It was like <laughs> You might be able to dribble, but you can't shoot Ben Simmons. You might be able to shoot, but you can't dribble Danny Green. Like it was always something. It wasn't Robert really Covington. Until, yeah, Robert Covington. We always had someone, something that was missing one element of it. Even like Seth Curry, who could dribble and shoot, was like a not a great passer. Like it wasn't really till Harden that we got guys that could dribble, shoot, and pass. Yeah. And now we have a few guys who could at least do like I would say Shake can. I would say that Melton can, and I would say that you know Maxi's pretty good at the dribble shoot stuff. That the passing it will come along. I'm hoping, but my whole thing on this is like I'm hoping that they're just being super cautious, and I'm hoping that they are looking at the situation like okay, our best players coming off the bench are Melton and Shake right now, and. With the way that, you know, I'm not a big Thibault believer. I never have really been a big Thibault believer. But with the way that he has been playing in the regular season, at least recently, they're a little bit deep at that two spot. And I think that they can they can survive a long stretch without Maxi in a way that they would never be able to survive a long stretch without Embiid. Or honestly, maybe even Tobias, just because they have so few wings actually on the team that can play the three and the four competently, that I think that they're... They're hopefully just being like super safe with this. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's probably what it is. Um, you know, the NBA regular season, it's like uh, if we get into the if we get it going in the second half of the season and 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 get everybody healthy and make a run, then and we and we move up to like the fourth seed or whatever. You know what I mean? When you know you're a strong team talent wise, and you you know you're not going to be you're not going to miss the playoffs. You. you 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 pretty much know you're not going to miss the playoffs even with with Harden and Bead and I mean Harden and Bead healthy throw any random NBA players around them you're probably not going to miss the playoffs so yeah. yeah I I think that's probably the thought there and I don't think Maxi has like any type of like uh I mean there there's there's a, a learning curve I guess with Harden still the dynamic of those two uh but I don't think he's gonna miss. I don't know how I want to say this, but I, you know, I don't think there's any a, too big of a learning curve for him where he can miss a certain amount of time, and I don't think it'll take him very long to get back into the groove. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. And also, like the plug and play element, I would say there are very few guards in the NBA that are much more plug and play than Tyrese Maxey, just because yeah. of his effective effectiveness on the ball, off the ball, to work within the system, to mm-hmm. self create to attack gaps when he can, you know, when people are closing out on his three-point shot. Like, he's about as scalable as a small guard that you can get. Like, most guys, Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of time to really get into the rhythm and stuff. Like, we see it with him all the time where, like, even in, like, the first playoff game last year against Toronto, from the jump, he's, he's ready to go. He's ready for the moment. And the big thing with him is, like, I worry about guys like Harden and Embiid when they get back because they're bigger dudes and because they take a little bit of time to get in shape. I don't think that it's really in Maxi's DNA to be out of shape. Like, yeah, no. like he's probably in shape right now and he has a broken foot. Like that's just kind of how he's built. Yeah, 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 definitely. That yeah, that's how he's built. He's a mover, man. He just moves yeah. and never stops. Um I'm actually impressed with how quick Harden kind of got back to, you know, form Same. uh NBA speed, things like that with 
with I mean, of course they have all the technology in the world, but you know, without being able to put weight on your foot, you can't play basketball. Obviously, you can't run, you can't walk, you can't, you know. So uh he came back in the first game, I think he was like four for nineteen and yeah, like, he, did it, a, he had to get one yeah. disaster class out of the way, and then right. he was good. Did anyone expect that? You know, there was people like, oh, Harden, you know, the Harden's wash crowd. I'm like, dude, he sat out for a month. Like, what? Yeah. I, you can't sit out for a month and play basketball. Nobody can do that and, and, and be good when they get back in. Uh, but yeah, I think I don't think it'll take Maxi too long. And yeah, I definitely think they're just being uh, extra precautious with it. You You can... We can still beat a lot of teams like this. Um, you know, hundred percent. Yeah, you get it. You get a up to the the biggest and strongest teams in the NBA. You're probably not gonna. You can still fight if you you know if they're making shots if they're sharing the ball. Um, yeah. And their defense is going to be good, even with with Maxi. It might even be a little bit worse just because Maxi's not quite there yet as a defender. But you put you plug Melton in. You plug you know you give a little bit more minutes to Thibel. Like their defense is going to be really good. They're top five in the NBA right now. So like I, I I'm not I'm not really worried about the regular season. I I would say save Maxi for the playoffs because that's where the Sixers really need him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so he said a couple more weeks. You know that was disappointing news, but at the same time, yeah, you you don't want it to be like oh he's ninety nine percent. No, we'll we'll take we'll take a solid one hundred. We need to yes. be we need to be absolutely sure he can plant, cut, move, run, jump, all that stuff without any pain at all so you know if it takes another month it is what it is and of course you like like i said you know at least we have two other all-star level players so the team's still competitive and the team's still fun to watch so um do you think without maxi sixers fans have overreacted to certain games like do you think maxi's that big a part of the game that like when we look bad against the houston rockets you can say well we didn't have tyrese maxi or is that as pathetic of a performance as i thought it was <laughs> I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I had the same reaction, but it was more for different reasons. Like my thing was like the style when Maxi doesn't play or even the style when the stars play, I should say, when it, when Joel Embiid and James Harden play, the bad games are going to look like absolute disasters. And I think that that is true because the, these are guys that are going to go ISO heavy. These are guys that are going to have certain games where, especially down the stretch when they're tired and out of shape, they're going to make some bad decisions, have some turnovers like Joel at the end of that game, even though he was honestly the only reason we were even in that game to mm -hmm. begin with. But, you know, Harden coming back from the injury, I I would say I've overreacted plenty to to the same stuff. Like, I, I think that, uh, I, I think my big thing with this Sixers team is that it feels like there's way more pressure on this year in a way that there hasn't been before because they've made all their moves, mm -hmm. right? So, like, the reason why we get frustrated with a disaster class versus the Houston Rockets is because there's not the flexibility. There's not the, oh, we just got to wait for this guy coming. Like, Harden was and the and the offseason were kind of like the last moves that we could use. We don't really have anything left in the cupboard to go out and get another guy that could theoretically improve the team. So all of the adjustments and all of the improvements will come from within house. And yep. if that is the case, I think fans are totally right to be frustrated with the coach, with the GM, even with the star players when they play like that in a game. You know, it is a long season and and every like yeah, look, Jason Tatum was probably the front runner for MVP, and I just watched him play like absolute dog shit against the Golden State Warriors the other night. Uh, and he's still probably the front runner for MVP. These games happen, these things happen. Yeah. But I think it's totally fine to be frustrated when you feel like 
the Sixers should be title contenders. And and honestly, so far in this season, it's been few and far between where they've actually looked like real contenders. And until they look regularly like contenders, we're going to be frustrated. Yeah, right. Especially when you uh, sat through the entire process and, you know, you've, exactly. had, you've had a lot of things go wrong throughout the process and you're like, this is kind of it. It's the feeling of, yeah, if this doesn't work, there, this is it. Yeah, we, like my whole thing is, I, and even beyond just like the process, like if you consider the process, like when Sam Hinkie was GM and then everything since, like the years in between Hinkie and Maury might have set back the franchise in a way that is unrecoverable, even if Maury came in and nailed every move that he made. Like that might just be the reality, but it does feel like when you have a top, whatever you want to call them, top five, top you, some people would say top three, top seven player in Joel Embiid, whatever it is. He's in that range of he could be the best player on a title team. Yeah. And if that is the case, then you expect the GM, you expect the coach, you expect this, the, the ancillary pieces around them to do their best. But like it, any team would have a hard time overcoming letting Jimmy Butler walk in free agency trading Jeremy Grant before he became the player that he is today, making all these drafting Mikhail Bridges and then trading him away for no reason. Like all these things, all these little paper cuts that they've had throughout the years turn into one huge scar. <laughs> and like it might be un it might not be able to be overcome, but the Sixers have a better team than they've performed so far. And yeah. We know that we should have a shot at the title as long as Joel Embiid is on the team, and we we should hold them to that standard, to be honest. Yeah, that's really how I feel about it uh, at the end of the day. You know, there's a lot of parts about the team that you can be frustrated about, but I, I reminded people, uh, like last week, I went on this little little bit of a tangent, and I was like, at the end of the day, I watched Joel Embiid, his rookie season when he played like three months, go yeah. go 12-5 and five in the month of January with TJ McConnell and Robert Covington and Luke Bamute. Like this, just, <laughs> yes. Joel Embiid healthy can take a team very, very far. I don't know if he could take up to the promised land, but you add James Harden in shape and, th you know, there's there's a lot of things that need to be worked out, but you you always have a shot with players that are that good. So I feel the same All way. All you need is one stretch, man. All right. you need is one stretch. Like, yeah. you get a stretch like the, some of these guys, and that's the only thing missing from Joel's resume is that one playoff run where he's healthy, he's in shape, and he can be the difference maker and win the conference or get to the conference finals. And then we start talking about him as a different player. This is what happens with every yep. player until they prove it at the highest stages. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you, do you think there's any, like Tyrese Maxey coming back? Um, I get people every day saying Tyrese should be coming off the bench. And and that's just because he's such a good scorer, I think. And he's good, so good with the ball in his hands. And you watch Harden and, you know, he keeps the ball in his hands or or, or runs a lot of ISO. And people think that you're kind of, holding Maxi's potential back by playing him with Harden. Uh, I personally think he can play off of Harden. Like I saw him do last season when Harden first got on the team, it looked like it benefited Maxi more than it, more than it held him back. So I think there's a, a, a strategy that the coaching staff has to have. Uh, but I'm, I don't know if I'm with the, you know, Tyrese Maxi should come off the bench. I just think you need to be able to stagger them the right way. And I think Glenn tries to do that. Uh, sometimes he doesn't do it as good as I think he could. Sometimes he does it perfectly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? I had this conversation the other day. I went on this podcast uh, and Eric Snow was the host of the podcast. Yeah, and he believe, talked about... Believe Sixers? Is that what it's called? Believe in, yeah. believe in 76ers. Yeah, yeah. 
And so I went on there and I talked about it with him and uh, his his co-host Tasia. And when we were talking about it, he I basically said, we know that players care about starting, right? Like that's a like Eric Snow was like, players care. Like that's a big thing to players. And if you think that Maxi is this potential all-star, and you tell him in year three, when he's done everything you've ever asked him to do, that he has to come off the bench. What kind of message does that really send? What does that send to Maxi? What does that send to Rich Paul, his agent, who we've had issues with in the past? <laughs> like, it's a real thing. And and Eric brought up a great point on the podcast, too. He said they will use that kind of stuff against you in contract negotiations as well. Teams will always look for, well, you were a starter and like you did great for us, but then you came off the bench. And like, so guys care about like Maxi hasn't been paid yet. Like he should be paid. He has probably one of the best contracts in the NBA from a team perspective. He makes like $2 million a year and he's arguably worth like 25, $30 million yeah. a year. Uh-huh. And my whole thing is what kind of what you got to earlier where I think behind Steph Curry and Devin Booker, Tyrese Maxey has the potential to be the best off-ball scoring guard in the NBA. Like, those two are elite, elite, like, don't need the ball to affect the game. But, like, I think Maxey can reach that, like, Bradley Be- young Bradley Beal level of all-star who doesn't get a ton of on-ball reps, but when he does, he makes the most of them. Mm. And... I think that he can function with the starters once the starters get into the rhythm that they've gotten into recently, where the ball's moving, you're taking advantage, you're you're catching the defense off guard for their rotations. It gets so stagnant and so predictable when you don't have Maxi out there that I think that you kind of need to have Maxi. And in addition to that, like I care less about starting. Players care about starting from a just watching the game, being a fan of the team. I care less about starting and I care more about who's closing. Mm -hmm. And I also care more about like who's playing starters minutes. And right now, the guys who are playing starters minutes are Maxi, Harden, and Melton. And that's how it should be. Is those Mm -hmm. three guys are all starter quality players in the NBA. And if anything, I would say I I might be a little bit more i i like to when coaches get creative i like when coaches try things that are a bit off the wall mm-hmm. play anthony melton with james harden and tyrese maxi more play yeah. him at the three or bump hard into the three depending on the matchup there aren't many teams that are going to be able to take advantage of that outside of like probably the two teams you're going to get through in the east which are the boston celtics and the milwaukee bucks in that their size isn't going to overwhelm you most starting small forwards in the nba right now are like Six foot five, Melton six three. He's got a six nine wingspan. He's a strong guy. I don't think that like he played the three. Like people don't talk about this. He played the three a lot for the Grizzlies. He played yeah. with Desmond Bain at the two and John Morant. Like it's not like he hasn't done it before. Like if anything, those three should be playing more together. It, I'm not even saying they should all start together, but like they should be playing real minutes together with a three guard lineup that makes your offense virtually unstoppable. Yep. And then you and Melton can cover up a lot of the defensive issues that guys like Tobias and guys like PJ might not be able to from a point of attack defense level. Like I think PJ is really good at guarding big body wings and with the help defense, but he's not going to be guarding guards on the perimeter like Melton can. And right. when you have Harden and Maxi, like Harden's better b- guarding bigger guys in the post mm. and Maxi is better chasing guys around screens. Like he's really good at guarding the Duncan Robinsons, the Max Struces, those kind of guys. So like you have 
you, you're basically kind of complementing all of their defensive strengths in that way. And how unstoppable would the offense be if all three of those guys were out there with Joel and Bean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree. I just, you know, I think that, uh, Glenn is very hesitant to try anything outside yeah. of the box or, you know, it's wild, actually. It's, it shocks me every time I really think about it. Like, the beginning of the regular season, you know, he wouldn't even put Charles Bassey on the basketball court. And I'm like, you can't, just, you can't just put the guy out there for six minutes and see what happens. It doesn't make sense to me. What does he have to do in practice to prove? Like, where, how, do you, how do you prove anything? You know, is this a jo- like a job resume? Oh, sorry, you have to have 10 years of experience. Well, how can I show you that I can do the job? Nope, sorry, you have to have 10. Like, <laughs> it, it's crazy. I, I don't get it. And that's that's going to, you know, put me on a Glenn Rivers rant. But, uh, yeah, there's combinations that that I think would, would be effective that should be used more. Um, I think the, there was a Matisse... Uh, Melton and Paul Reed lineup in a game uh, one time that was like two minutes long that was pure havoc on the court. Yeah. I mean, just diving, uh, hands in passing lanes all over the place that just made the offense struggle. You could see yeah. it. And I'm like, man, just, you know, I know that doesn't work offensively that great, but try it a little bit more, you know? So there's well, in, the ha- in the half court, it doesn't, but in transition, yeah. how many steals and blocks are you creating yeah. that create advantages to just get out and run that like, you know, Thibel's not, doesn't have a ton of utility in the half court, but in full court, he can, he's a fast guy. Like he can run. Like it, it doesn't really make any sense to me that we don't try things that are more creative like that on a regular basis. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, uh, we'll, we'll go to a question right here from Bill. Thanks for the super chat. Sorry for the early question, but thoughts on how the Sixers have a brutal schedule in early March and late March to the end. Uh, I don't think I looked at the schedule in March. Um, I think they have a... I was looking at Saturdays in, in January uh, just today, um, and they got like they got like the Bucks, the Celtics, the, the, the uh, Brooklyn Nets, um, the the schedule I think gets a lot tougher, uh, than it's been recently, moving forward. So uh, the the excitement and the you know talking points and everything will pick up a lot as we get past uh Christmas break. But I don't think I looked at the schedule in March. Um, have you? I I haven't looked that far ahead. I mean, I kind of look at it like, let's be honest with the Sixers. Isn't every game kind of hard? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, like. I'm not saying that they can't do what they did last night, where they beat the Sacramento Kings. But right. like, we always talk about like how hard the schedule is. But like, they get up for big games. Like, uh-huh. unless a team's just overwhelmingly talented, uh, like or a bad matchup for us, like the Celtics have always been. Like, it feels as though those big games, like the games you never expect the Sixers to be in, they're always in. They've yep. always played the Bucks tough when they're relatively healthy. They've played every single contender tough when they're relatively healthy pretty much during the Joel Embiid era. It's the games like the Charlottes, the Sacramentos, the the, yeah. the games that you sleepwalk into, the Detroit Pistons. Mm-hmm. Those kind of games are the ones where they kind of tend to shit the bed. So like... Right. I, I do worry a little bit about that kind of stuff, but I also think like that's a good test right before the playoffs. Like that's that's a good test for a time when everyone still cares, but not really like April cares. Where like by the time April comes around, we're kind of just like rolling out the bench guys because yeah. the standings are already what they are. Yeah. Like in March is the best time to have a tough schedule, in my opinion. It gets True. you prepared for the playoffs. You know exactly who your team is because it's after the trade deadline and the buyout market and. 
Also, like it, it, you, you need to be in playoff shape, so your starters are going to be playing big minutes. Like I don't, I actually think you could look at that as a positive thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's always a positive thing for the, for this Sixers team. Um, you know, like you said, they played t- when they played the Houston Rockets or the Kings or whoever. You just, you know, sometimes they come out looking like they didn't even. Uh, they just showed up. They just walked in the door. Like, all yeah, right, Harden started- was at a strip club last night, <laughs> and it's it, that people. I say that as we say that as jokes, but that you know that's probably true. true. <laughs> like, no, it, it, no, it literally was proven that Lil Baby was in Houston the night before with Harden, and they were out partying. Like yeah. she was probably hungover, right? <laughs> and let me tell you something: when you're 33, 34 and you're hungover, it's a different ball game from twenty three oh, yeah. and twenty four. So when you, yep. I said this last season uh, when they were in Miami in the playoffs, I'm like, well, when Harden looks slow, trust me, he got five hours of sleep. And he was out somewhere last night. He it's hundred percent. He can't hide it anymore. You're 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 at the age now, Harden, where you can't hide that. It's it becomes glaringly obvious that yeah, you didn't. I, sleep. I know the look. I've I've seen it on my own face. Bill said that uh, March's schedule has almost nonstop back to back games. Most on the road, going to be exhausting for them. Also, all good That's teams. Tough. I like all good teams. Uh, nonstop back to back games obviously isn't isn't fun. Uh, the NBA schedule I feel like has been weird so far. Anyway, like we play like. 19 back-to-backs and then we had two weeks in a row where they have four days off and then even this week they have three days off in a row and i'm like what like first of all i live for this shit so i don't like when they have four days off what do i Same. do for four days I just sit around <laughs> and I'm, I'm alone with my thoughts it's a scary thing so yeah uh all the back-to-backs in march i don't like that um but I know, to I know. be fair, every, every team every team rests on back to backs, and every yeah. team has injuries where they're super precautious right before the playoffs. So, like, yep. you don't know what those games are even going to look like. Like, we all were like, we had this Warriors game circled, and now Steph's out. So it's yep. like that's kind of how it is in the modern NBA. Yeah, uh, at least we're getting c- competitive games. Like, what what was it the 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 year the bubble, and then right after the bubble, man, everybody was still either out with flu like symptoms or whatever with a uh, what do they call it health and safety protocol that was happening like yeah. every other day and i was so frustrated because i'm like i can't i'm doing a youtube show and i can't get a game that anybody actually cares about the whole it season sucked. long it sucked so at least we're getting some some pretty good uh healthy competitive games i think this season compared to the last couple years it's been brutal yeah. um but yeah you know they'll probably rest joel a lot of those back-to-backs will probably rest hard on those back-to-backs uh you know, it is what it is. They'll say he has a knee soreness or woke up with a tight back, whatever it is. Do you know? Do you remember in the NBA? Basically, they're like try to they're trying to put a stop every year. They're trying to put a stop to like resting players. But how can yeah. you put a stop to it? Now you have to list an injury. So they just say, okay, his his back hurts. I mean, what can you prove that he doesn't have a sore back? Like, I don't know. Joel B probably has a sore back a lot. Like yeah. he's seven foot two yeah. and he plays through injury. Like he's a basketball player. You you can't. Uh, yeah, it's. It's so. He's probably it's so sore ridiculous. every game. So then yeah. you can just choose which game you want him to sit. Hey, are you sore? Yeah, I'm sore. Okay, you're sitting tonight because you're sore. You know how you can stop load management, stop giving back to backs, and and having four games off in between, like four days right. off in between. Like, how, you said, how, do, how do they fix that? Do they go a shorter overall schedule? If it has to do with that, then it, if it has to do with the overall income of a business, that's never going to change. They're never going to take a financial hit. Well. I personally think the product will be way better if you did a, a shorter schedule, but you're right that they're never going to buy into that because they make real money off of those extra 15 to 20 games that they shouldn't even be playing. Like right. 65 is fine. Yes. Like, I think everyone will be fine with 65, but the owners will never agree to that 
I mean, honestly, probably being financially independent from hockey teams would probably help, I would imagine, because you have to work around their schedule and concert venue schedule and all that shit, too. So that all comes into play. Like, if the NBA continues to go on the path that it is, honestly, they all, all these owners could afford to have their own stadiums. Like, the Sixers, we got to wait a half a decade or longer (laughs) than that to get our new stadium. Like, they could afford that shit today. Uh But... But until we get there, it's always going to probably be tougher, especially for these smaller markets, I'm sure, that tend to share stuff with and they make a lot of revenue off of concerts and stuff like that. So I I think that's probably a, a big part of it. Like, I, I know personally, like last year when the I have a buddy who's a Bucks fan and last year when the Celtics and the Bucks were playing, they randomly had three days off in between games and everyone was like, this never happens in the playoffs. Like, why is this happening? Yeah. And it was because they had a con- like a Slipknot concert <laughs> at, at Pfizer Forum, the Bucks Stadium, and they were just like, "We scheduled this way before, we didn't know," and it almost gave the Bucks a severe advantage because Chris Middleton was out with an injury, and he was almost able to come back for that game, but then he ended up missing the whole series, and then you know had a re-injury. But what? But but the whole the whole part of it is like you're balancing like multiple elements of of. Of yeah. shit that you're, you have scheduled. And hey, if you schedule a Slipknot concert, you got to go through with it because their fans will burn the building down. So exactly, oh, yeah, no, always, yeah, you don't want to cross them. <laughs> always choose Slipknot over a random NBA game. <laughs> uh, so let's go over Joel Embiid yesterday saying that uh, Sixers fans want him to be traded, and I want to talk about it because I want to know what the hell Joel Embiid is reading. You know, I think as an NBA player, you know, and Joel's not from America, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I just think maybe he grew up with less social media, especially at the time. Maybe uh, I'm just totally guessing, but I want like, does he know that Twitter is stupid and is not real life? Does he know that what people are saying on the internet isn't real? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he so I just want to get this out of the way. I got a lot of shit from Sixers fans after this comment came out because I have been saying after like I've made the comment of like, should the team blow it up? Basically. Yeah, I've said Just, that. Yeah. Right. So I've said that before and I joke about it all the time because I always say after a bad loss, like, Oh, blow it up, whatever, blah, blah. And there were people coming at me thinking that I was the one Joel follows me on Twitter. So they were thinking that I was the reason that he said this because I will tweet like blow it up, like whatever. Blah, blah. And I was like, first off, I think you guys seriously overestimate how much Joel really is on Twitter. Like, I, yeah. I don't think that he's surfing on Twitter every day. No. I don't think that he cares that much about what people think. If anything, I've heard the opposite. I've heard like he kind of can't go anywhere because He's so famous and everyone loves him so much that like mm-hmm. he can't walk down the street because he stands out. He's seven foot two. Yeah. He's a big dude. Like, like he he he's probably more in the other category. And if you read the whole article and the context of it, it was more like right after he literally smiled at Jake and like kind of like not winked, but like was like a little bit tongue in cheek. So I think yeah. that that whole thing was overblown, taken out of context. And I also don't think that any individual fan or 
radio personality or person who talks about the Sixers is going to have that much of an effect on a guy who is going to make what a quarter billion dollars and yeah. is a super successful, smart. Like he, 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 everything is going right for Joel and Beeb. I don't think that he really gives a shit. I think he just likes to fuck with people. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely what it is. And he, you know, yeah. he may have read one or two people say that. And you, now that you put it like that, and and I did see the original article, and then the Bleacher Report article was the more clickbaity one that took a certain part out of it. Sure. Uh, yeah, it definitely. I could definitely see him just saying it because he knows there's like a couple people that hate his guts. And that's why he's like, yeah, well, they want to trade me. Ha ha. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not in like a not in like a serious way. And those of us that do say, is it time to blow it up or whatever? I I think we're just being realistic with how NBA franchises work and how it works when you get to where you're at right now. Capped out. No, no money, no draft draft picks, nothing. Exactly. Yeah. And if it doesn't work this season, I Joel's one of those guys. I'm like, you never trade him. But if you were yeah. going to accept the fact, okay, none of this worked, we got to start over, then you would have to trade Joel and B. There'd be no other way to do it. Exactly. You, it's it's bad business to trade a top ten player. Uh, almost every trade with a top ten player, the other the the team who trades them comes out on the wrong side. And actually, the two most recent examples where teams might have actually been a win win or maybe slightly in their own favor were the Harden and AD trades. But the reason why that is the case is because AD was injury prone mm-hmm. and because Harden was at a certain age, right? And with the Joel Embiid thing, like I would never want to trade Joel Embiid until he wants to get traded but from a franchise perspective of if you have no other way around it if you have nowhere to go you're, you're better off getting out of getting out in front of it and trading the guy before it becomes a situation where he has no trade value yeah. and then you're just back where you were square one and you can you can yeah and you can love an athlete all you want people are still going to make business decisions the sixers tried to exactly. trade they tried to trade Allen Iverson uh not too not too late into his career. I think year six yeah. or year seven they tried to trade Allen Iverson. And before uh, that. They, yeah. they, they tried they tried to trade him before we made the two thousand one finals. Do you know the story? I've heard the story that somebody stopped the trade or somebody So yeah. So he he almost got traded to the Boston Celtics. For like a garbage package, because this was before tr- stars got traded for like real things, right? Yeah. Like we traded, we traded Charles Barkley for a role player and a first round pick. Like this is, this was that era of star trades. Mm-hmm. They almost traded him to the Boston Celtics and what, and what held the deal up. This was like 1999, 2000. So this was the, so that's year only before. four, that's only four years into his career. Yeah. Well, they, that, into- that was all, they, he was also, they were also having a lot of uh, issues with him. At sure. Early on in his career, him and him and Larry Brown and him, the practice thing and his yep. his work ethic and things like that. So and the, also the CBA at the time, the collective bargaining agreement was different than it is now. It's much more in favor of teams keeping their own guys. Now, mm-hmm. back then, a guy after their rookie contract could just, like Shaq only played four or five years for the Orlando Magic and just left for the Lakers like that doesn't really happen now because you get that option to extend them off their first contract you can match if they go to free agency so hard so at the time with iverson like he could have walked like he could have literally been like like fuck this the most famous example is a chris weber literally forced to trade after his first season (laughs) with the golden state warriors because 
basically he was just going to leave in free agency. So yeah. he, he they traded him to the Washington Bullets. But the 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 Iverson trade got held up because Matt Geiger had a yes. trade clause. Matt Geiger, yeah, and he was like. No, I don't want to go to Boston. And that's what held the deal up. And then a year later, the Sixers are in the finals. Like that's that's, that's some amazing crazy shit. That's, that's amazing. Some, but that's kind of an example of like how shit changes in the NBA very fast. Yeah. Which is why I say you never trade a top 10 player unless they want to get traded. Because how many times have there been guys that were almost traded and then they win the finals the next year? Like it right. happens all the time. Well, that's another thing, too. It's not just like if you were going to blow it up, that's the only real option you would have after this season or next season or whatever. But also, if they don't succeed in putting the right team around Joel Embiid to win, his career is not going to be super long. Uh, there's those of us that feel like he should probably request a trade at, at a certain sure. point. Like, listen, we tried this nine years or whatever, eight years. It didn't work. Uh, to be honest, you guys fucked it up like seven different times. <laughs> I wouldn't be. <laughs> you mad made me play a whole yeah. season with Al Horford on my hip. You made me yeah. play with Ben Simmons for five of them. Like yeah. finally, you would think maybe he'd be like, "Listen, I'm just going to go to Miami and uh, try to do something else." So I think that sure. there's that aspect of it too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't blame him at all. I wouldn't blame him at all, and also I would root for him wherever he went. Absolutely, so. absolutely, yeah. I would too. I probably if, if we would end up playing for another two or three teams, I might buy every single Embiid jersey that ever exists and keep them all. <laughs> yeah, because he's exactly. one of the greatest players I've ever seen, and yeah. it's just it's another one of those things that you know people take for granted. What's here now, they don't understand how quickly it's going to be over. Uh, and I'm you know, guilty of it myself. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we all do it. Yeah, we all do it. But uh, you know, um, Abe Link says I don't understand where fans wanting to trade Embiid came from. For the past two years, we've been on the Joel Embiid MVP tour. Yeah, I don't think it's fans really. It, it's uh, it's a couple people. Um, for from my from my experience with fans and listening to the radio sometimes and people that call in, the radio callers. That's why I said what was Joel listening to ninety seven point five. Like the radio callers are these like old dudes. That first of all hate the new new NBA. They yep. don't even hardly watch it. They probably hate the fact that there's a three point line, and all they 100%. do, yeah, and all they do is call in and and say this guy's big and lazy and fat, and he's he doesn't work hard. They hate him. There's people that hate yep. this guy, and I'm like, you don't even. They don't even watch it. There's no way they actually watch it. They see the highlights. And they say he's big and lazy and slow, and they they're mad that he shot seven threes in a basketball game when he should be down on the block like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I'm like, listen, if it was 1984, he would be down there on the block the whole game. It's not the same. It doesn't work anymore. I'm sorry. It's a different NBA. Like, like he can do it, but he can do both. Like anytime, anytime that someone says to me, oh, I love, I hate when Joel shoots threes. And I'm like, first off, he's being spoon fed. He's being spoon fed wide open looks and he's a good shooter. That's a good shot. Like even if, even if the numbers aren't great this year, like they will balance out and he will be a 36, 37% three point shooter, maybe as high as 38 or 39. And like the math is overwhelmingly on his side for every, there's a reason why teams take more threes now than they did before. Like, The math is on your side if you take threes and like you're being given the most wide open looks. It's not like Joel's shooting contested threes. Like right. he, he's taking the smartest shot that he could possibly take, whether he's in the paint, whether he's at the, at the elbow or he's spotting up from three. Like he's just yeah. a smart player and he knows what he's doing. Like I'm going to trust him. Yeah, I remember when he was still rehabbing the foot before he ever played an NBA game. We saw a video of him shooting threes and we were like, holy shit. 
Like this guy, hold on a second. This guy is one of the like biggest, most skilled centers. We think it was still like a mythical creature. We sure. didn't see him play, but we were like, and he can shoot threes. Like that's like an amazing addition to a player like that. Cause before him, we didn't really see seven footers that, that play a post game that could shoot threes like that. Like you had like Dirk yeah. Nowitzki and players like that, but that's a skill that, that, that big time post players, Shaquille O'Neal type players didn't have, never had. Yeah, I mean, if it weren't for the injuries, you could make an argument that Joel Embiid would be one of like the ten best basketball players of all time. Like, like yeah, in the, inju- the, the injuries slowed him down so much, and like his early development that like even if you watch like I, sometimes I go back and I watch some Kansas footage of Joel, and like, dude, he was an insane passer in college. Yeah. Like, if he if he had kept that development track going as a passer and a playmaker, that's the only weakness in his game. Yeah, and like if he kept that up, like there's he would have no weaknesses. Like he was about one forty five too. You know, yeah, and, yeah, he was. Yeah, he very was different. Lean. Very different. Yeah, he was yeah. lean. Uh, you know, I don't think he's. I don't think he can get back to that one forty five. Yeah. Probably could That'd be tough. <laughs> Probably could, but yeah, I think you know by the end of an NBA season, Joel's ready to like rehab and rest for three months. That's why you see yeah. the beginning of every season, he starts out slow, and everybody's yeah. mad, but. Uh, last year was like the first twenty games he averaged this, and after the after game twenty, he averaged this. Like it takes him twenty games to get into basketball shape. It is what it is. And plantar fasciitis. I don't know if you believe that story or not. I felt like that was just a uh kind of a backhanded well, cop out by little, little convenient. We forgot to tell you yeah. guys that he oh, wasn't whoops. doing anything the whole season. Like what you guys? Reporters report everything. You're telling yeah. me Woj didn't know that. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, it's cat. That's so cat. That is. That is absolutely. But to sum that up, Joel, nobody wants to trade you. Not the real the real fans do not want to trade you, and we appreciate everything you've ever done in 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 Philadelphia. And yeah, the injuries are what they are, everything, but it, with all things considered, he's one of the most talented centers we've ever seen. And we have to appreciate yeah. that. He's not perfect, but what do people what do people want? They want a seven two, two hundred and eighty pound guy that averages forty points a game, is never sits out. Never takes a playoff. Like, what do they want? Even if, even if we never win a title with Joel, like, do you, are you watching the Blazers right now with Damian Lillard? Like, I, I watched a couple games. Ha, like, I don't think that team has a chance to win the title, but they're a lot of fucking fun. They're great. Like, they're fun to watch. Jeremy Grant. Fun, Jeremy Grant's been awesome. Yeah. He's been they fitting in way better than I thought he was going to fit in there. But like, Joel is four years younger than Dame. Like. Like imagine Joel in a few years, just like with some young guys, like having fun. Like, uh-huh. like, like there is there's a world where we keep Joel and we never win a title, and we're still totally fine because we're in the conversation. We're having fun. Yeah. It's enjoyable basketball. Well, two like, thousand two thousand five ish, Allen Iverson with Andre Iguodala and Kyle Korver. Like we sure. knew that team wasn't winning anything, but I got to see Iverson throwing alley oops to Iguodala from the foul line. It's great. You know? Yeah, it was a lot of yeah. fun, man. It was a lot yeah. of fun. Uh, so, do you want to go over a couple? Uh, NBA trade scenarios real quick before we get up out of here. Um, yeah, because, let's get it. Because I, I put it in the title, so I guess we have to. Somebody will yell at me in the comment. You never talked about the trades. <laughs> no, but seriously. Um, so you consider yourself a trade uh, aficionado, a trade slob. Is that what you call it? What does so, that mean? I, so slop. So slop started as so slop season is what we are entering today. Today slop is the first season. day. Of slop. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so trades. What we used to get information. That was just like we would get like little tidbits. I would get tidbits from like journalists and like you'd hear gossip about trades, whatever. 
And at a certain point, someone was saying like, oh, some of these rumors, they never come true. So I said, well, we're all just piggies who love the slop, right? Like, we love when we get a Woj tweet or we love when oh, we yeah. get like a, a Jake Fisher article or whatever it is. That's just like a little like, oh, oh, the Sixers are exploring Tobias Harris trades or whatever it is. Uh-huh. And that is slop. It's like the lowest. It's like NBA <laughs> gossip, basically. It's yeah. like tabloid shit. Yeah. But uh-huh. for the NBA, but we love it because like, we're all like, little piggies like, and like we like love a, the slop. It's like a Real Housewives fight. <laughs> yes, you know? exactly. Like Je- a, re- a reality show. Yeah, Jessica fought Kristen, and like nobody should actually care about that. But it's 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 <laughs> engaging when you care about the subject. Is yeah. the point here? We all have our own versions of slop, and trade stuff is slop for me. So that's slop season where it started, and my podcast, which is started as a primarily a Sixers podcast, and like we would talk about the NBA sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, has basically become fifty fifty. Where like we talk about Sixers half the time, and then we talk about trade slop the other half of the time. Yeah. So that's nice. That's, that's where we're at. So as far as the Sixers go, I guess. If they were going to do something at the trade deadline this season, like what what are, what are your top things that you think they either should do or possibly are likely to do? Because you know we could talk about any trade scenario. Sure. Uh, I feel like the Tobias Harris thing with the contract is is not a thing that's ever going to happen. Uh, and he's been playing great lately, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, he's been awesome. But yeah, last season I thought Tobias was definitely one of the ones that was out the door and they Daryl couldn't get what he wanted for him, so we're still making it work. But yeah, what do you think they're uh I guess likely to do? Well, the Tobias thing is tough for the obvious reasons. His makes the most amount of money of any player that's like never made an all-star team. It's like <laughs> him and CJ McCollum are gonna break NBA records for making two hundred million dollars in their career without ever making an all-star team. But uh, I I actually think Tobias has way more value in the offseason because that's an expiring contract. That's a guy that like, you know, we've had our frustrations with Tobias, but he's been pl- honestly, I would argue he's been playing really good since we got hard. Like, yeah, he's had he's had he's kind of proved himself to be a bit more role malleable than we expected. Yep. Like he's shooting more spot up threes. He's trying on defense. The, he, he's trying, he's exactly. Yeah, and I, I joke all the time about Tobias, where I say that he is. So you know they talk about like versatile defenders. Like Bam Adebayo can guard a center, but he can also guard a guard. Like that's an elite versatile defender. I always say Tobias is like the most average versatile defender in the NBA. Where like one game he'll guard Darius Garland or De'Aaron Fox, and then the next game he'll guard Carl Anthony Towns, uh-huh. and you're like. There's not many players that could do that, but like Tobias isn't really like a lockdown defender by any means. So he's just like an average versatile defender. But like, I don't think they're going to be able to trade him. And if they did, it would be like a, it would be a downgrade, to be honest. Like, it wouldn't help the Sixers. Like, the Mavericks might trade uh, Davis Bertans and Tim Hardaway Jr., but like, Tim Hardaway Jr. is a guard. We already have plenty of good guards. Davis Bertans isn't going to be in our rotation. Like, it doesn't help. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. Go ahead, continue. It's a conundrum, right? Yeah, like it's a tough situation. Mm. So, so I I would look at guys that are more like Paul Reed, Matisse Thybul, George Niang, Burkhan Korkmaz, maybe Shake Milton. Like he's been playing really good this season, but like the, just from a salary matching standpoint, yeah. the Sixers don't have a ton of salary matching guys. And like the few guys that are like you could maybe move off of are like Furkan Korkmaz, George Niang, and 
there there aren't a ton of guys that they can get to be honest at this deadline. Like it, it right. feels like if we're being realistic, you're probably going to get someone else's version of Tobias. So <laughs> yeah. it's like someone where they don't want like like it's just like okay, like maybe we trade you Matisse and Furkan to get to like that ten million dollar player, and we get back like. Justin Holiday or someone that's like not doesn't really change your franchise in any way. Yeah. So like we really shouldn't worry too much about it. But the, there are a few guys that I think would be like very useful on this team that might be gettable. Like, I mean, Jay Crowder's still been sitting out for half a season. And yeah. like it would be nice to have another big body wing who can guard like Jason Tatum capably yeah. and shoot threes. Basically like Tobias, but you're not paying him the max and he yeah. doesn't have self-creation ability, but you're fine with that because half the guys in this team don't have self-creation ability anyway. And you have two or three great creators that can get them open looks. Yeah. So there are a few guys that like, I, I mean, I have dream targets that I don't think are realistic, but like, yeah. Kyle Kuzma would be fantastic. Josh Hart would be fantastic. Uh, there are guys that are in that medium range that aren't like super gettable, but like if their teams decide to blow it up, like I'll take a flyer on Reggie Bullock. Like there yeah. are guys there. Are, we What we really need the most are three and D wings mm -hmm. who can, who can stay on the court offensively and give you real energy minutes defensively. Like basically what we've always hoped that like Thibel and Tobias would be, but that's not really what their game is. Yeah. So like any guy that's in that mold, I would be totally fine. The only Tobias trade I think that could be reasonable that could happen at this deadline that I don't think is going to happen because I think the team realizes they kind of need Tobias is Tobias for John Collins in some capacity. Yeah. But like I think that that's kind of a win-win trade because I think that the the Hawks have realized it's the end of the road for the John Collins experience there, yeah. and they don't want to pay him for all these years when he doesn't fit with Trey Young, and and like they don't really get along. It seems like, and Tobias is a great locker room guy. He's going to shoot way more threes than than John Collins, but I don't know how much of a great fit John Collins is with this roster. So that's mm -hmm. that's kind of kind of where I'm at with the Sixers trade targets right now. Yeah, I I've been in uh, hot water with the the, the run it back Philly. Uh, subscribers for for saying Tobias for John Collins and I was saying Tobias for John Collins for for a long time and it was at the time where the Sixers had become known as for whatever reason a team that it sucks at rebounding like why are we two years in a row one of the worst rebounding teams in the NBA and transition defense and then just straight up lack of athleticism it, it, they've had uh, so I always recently like the past year, two years, thought a John Collins, Tobias Harris swap would make sense because Tobias is more of a scorer. So like you said, Tobias is going to shoot more threes. John Collins gives you more athleticism, probably plays a more hard-nosed game under the basket, fights for rebounds and things like that. Uh, John Collins was a decent three-point shooter most of his career. This year, he's shooting 29, 21%. I don't know what what's going on there, uh, but I think he can get that back. And My, my whole thing with John Collins' three-point shooting is that some of it was like, so like Tobias shoots 40% from three this year, right? 
He's taking five threes a game, and some mm-hmm. of those are contested. John Collins is the kind of guy that only really takes wide open threes. Yeah. And like that's useful. I'm not saying it isn't, but from a spacing perspective, when you want to run that Joel and beat James Harden pick and roll, and they're just helping off John Collins in one quarter and PJ Tucker in the other corner, that's where I would get really worried about the Sixers spacing issues. Because like John Collins shoots even at his peak when he shot 40% or high 30s, he was shooting like two and a half, three threes per game and like that's not really the number that you want around that like Mm -hmm. Tobias is probably going to be a better offensive fit but the defense and the rebounding is really where where Collins could give you an advantage I think yeah, uh, for me, Tobias Harris, it's it's that thing where it, right when I talk shit about a player, they change everything and become <laughs> like a different guy. It's 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 the Jalen Hurts thing for me. Last year, I said flat out, I'm not seeing the mechanics, I'm not seeing the pocket awareness. He he's bottom in the NFL in this this or this passes over 20 yards in tight windows, et cetera, et cetera. And I just didn't see him doing that in one off season. And what are the odds? I'm watching this season. Like, are you are you fucking kidding me? He's different. Did this guy really just do? And I'm starting to think it's because I, I, when I shit talk somebody, they just all of a sudden I'm like, in one year, this guy became the best passer in the entire NFL. Are you kidding me right now? So Tobias Harris, I do the John Collins thing. Tobias this, Tobias that. Right now he's shooting the most threes a game he ever has in his entire career at a higher percentage. I'm like, okay, well he changed everything that I said bad about him. So, you know, people He's be like, everything that we wanted him to be this season. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So people Which, will always do that. Well, that's not what you said six months ago. I'm like, he's literally a different player right now. So I don't know is, what to tell you. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So that's why I, I was and, with John Collins. And the big thing with Tobias is like, look, like I think that everyone's frustrated with how much money he makes because it makes no flexibility throughout the rest of the roster. Like if Tobias were making $20 million a year, we would all be very happy with Tobias. <laughs> like, like, I don't think that we would be mad because he wouldn't limit the other moves that we could make, but because the NBA is a salary cap, unfortunately him making $40 million a year is a problem. Like Uh that's just, that's just how it is. I think they should just get rid of the salary cap personally, but like, if that is the case, like he's become the best version of Tobias Harris that you could possibly expect. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect much more than what he's done right now, but like, it is nice to have a guy when the stars are out that can act like a little bit of like, maybe if it's a little bit of a fake star, but like, in those Orlando Magic games, it was nice to have Tobias being yep. able to just like attack mismatches. And like when he had more space, when Joel was out, like he was able to cook a little bit more. And like, I also think that Tobias is like, I, I think about like people have talked about like, do you trade Maxi for a superstar? Do you trade Tobias for whoever? And I think that like the Sixers lack of continuity that they've had for so long. And like the fact that like, those two guys and Niang seem like the three guys that are really like the connecting pieces of the locker room. It feels like you kind of need those guys. You kind of need some guys in the locker room that everyone likes. And like, just from like a take all the stats and everything we think about basketball players off the page, like, Anytime you hear about a a, a title team or a, a dynasty, they always have one of one or two of those guys in the locker room that are just incredibly important to like team chemistry and shit. And like Tobias might frustrate us sometimes as a player, but like I do think that he has some off the court value that we can't really quantify. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And yeah. anytime I anytime I talk about his game, um, you know, I'm always just talking about his game. I think he's exactly. I think he's a super nice guy, well spoken, yeah. educated. 
uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I would probably love Tobias Harris to hang out, you know, to hang out with him and talk to him. But uh, there's things in his game that I haven't been a big fan of over the over the course of the years. But he's playing, he's playing it like you said. He's he's exactly right now what we've wanted him to be. So I, I can't complain about Tobias Harris anymore. If only um, PJ Tucker was. If PJ Tucker, if PJ Tucker was playing at that at the level that he was before he came here, everything would be fine. Is that is like. PJ Tucker thing? system you know how like in the brett brown years it seemed like a player comes to the sixers and sure. all of a sudden he sucks and, or, or just doesn't produce the way that he was with the other squad and pj tucker did what he did in miami it's not like he was averaging 15 a game or anything but he comes here and it just looks like sure. yeah, a lot of these games early on in the season it's like what is pj tucker i mean i know he's a hard-nosed like you know scrappy dive on the floor kind of guy but when he's playing 47 minutes and giving you nothing across the stat sheet uh you know stuff yeah is yeah. That, is that a glenn rivers issue uh i i don't i mean look i think a more creative coach like eric spolstra in miami got the best out of pj tucker running you know he was doing a lot of screening and and creating out of the uh you know short dives like short roll stuff where he was able to just get the ball get downhill kick it to the corner whatever he's actually like a pretty good passer mm-hmm. the issue the issue with the sixers and we know the the kind of players that work around Joel, which are like the movement shooters, right? Like JJ Redick and Seth Curry had two of their best years of their career with Joel. I do think that guys that tend to like hang around the post more kind of struggle with players like Joel, like guys like PJ, guys like that just don't really have like knockdown shooting ability. Even Tobias, like it was weird at first. He's used to being around that mid post range. And like, as much as we love Joel, like, it is it is a little bit difficult to adjust your game in the modern NBA to a guy who's like a post heavy big, right? Yeah. Especially when you're running most of your offense through that. But I think PJ has been totally fine when Harden plays because Harden is the kind of guy that will just spoon feed you corner threes in a way. Like he generates more corner threes than any player in the NBA except for Luka Doncic, basically. Yeah. So like the fact that he can play with him is really all that matters when you talk about the playoffs. Like if Harden's hurt in the playoffs, we're fucked anyway. So like, who gives a <laughs> shit? Like, and, and I think that like PJ's slow start a lot, and especially that bad stretch where he couldn't score at all. A lot of it comes down to the fact that like Joel's just not going to create a ton of open looks for PJ Tucker standing in a corner. Right. Uh, and a perimeter guy like Harden that can, you know, see the whole floor and can knows where his guys are. And, and is just like a basketball genius. Basically it is going to be able to find him and, and, and kind of create those open looks. So like, PJ is frustrating to me only in that, like, I felt like he was not the kind of guy we needed, really. Like, I would rather have gotten, like, a Bruce Brown or, mm-hmm. like, someone that's, like, more like an arc, if possible, if we could have traded for him, Contavious Caldwell Pope. Like, the guys that the Nuggets got, like, where it's like, you, you can play the 2 3, you're more athletic, your, your game is more malleable, you can shoot from the outside. But also, if you need to do the things that, like, DeAnthony Melton has done for us, where, like, sometimes they'll put Melton, they'll have Melton screen, and then, like, Harden gets him the ball at the at the elbow, and then he can play make out of that. Like, that kind of stuff is, like, what Bruce Brown can do, what those kind of guys can do. And, like, I would have liked just, like, a little bit less, like... And one of the reasons why I'm hesitant to trade for John Collins, because I just don't really like this, like, P.J. Tucker is a big. Like, he's not really... 
a like he can fake like a wing, but like he's a big. Yes. And like Tobias is a wing, but like he plays like a big a little bit. So like it's hard to like make all of that work with Joel. Whereas like ideally you would rather have if you like if it was a perfect world, you would rather have the OG Ananobis, the Mikhail Bridges, the guys who are going to be like lockdown defenders on the other end and like shoot a bunch of threes. And if they need to, they can create their own shot in a in a pinch. So yeah. like it's kind of just an awkward fit. And like, honestly, I do think that like, we're probably going to need as much defensive help as possible with, with Harden and Maxi on the perimeter. So, yeah. so maybe having th- even Thibel and Tucker in these minutes uh, is good for the long run. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, and, and even PJ Tucker coming to a new squad. And yeah, it's James Harden. He played with him before, but there's still definitely a lot of moving parts. So, you know, the, Sixers the fans. The dynamic's totally different than the Rockets. Yeah, we're crazy. You know, we overreact to the first 10 games of a season, <laughs> the first 20 games. We're, we're going to do that. All right. So on this list, this article that I pulled up from Liberty Ballers, they have uh, Sadiq Bay. Mm. Villanova guy. I'm sure everyone loves that. Because he went to Villanova. And like if you went to Villanova or you're from Philly, top <laughs> 10, 10 more credit points yeah. you get. Like Sadiq Bay, Cam Reddish, anyone that's like from the region, they're gonna get a lot of bonus points. Uh I don't know much about Sadiq Bay or what he plays like. Is it 43.9% from three this year, but 25% no, 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 no. from the rest of the field? No, no, the opposite. He's 43% from the field, 25 or 20 something percent from three. Oh, from the corner. Hold on. From the corner, yeah, he's 43%. Yeah. He's 25 yeah. everywhere else. Yeah. So, like above the break and like, yeah. So, Sadiq Bey is, I, I will say, the thing about Sadiq Bey is like, he shot really well the, the fake COVID season, like the year when like <laughs> no there fans. were no fans. Yeah. Yeah. He shot like out of this world, but so did everyone. Like right. that's that's kind of the problem. Like RJ Barrett was like almost a 40% three point shooter. Like, I don't really think you could take that much into account. But like he started his career really high uh hot shooting. He shoots a lot of threes. He's capable of like creating inside the arc, but like he's not a creator by any means. If you took a flyer on him, it's only because you're like you believe in like his ability. Like he can play within a system because he went to Nova. He hasn't really had the opportunity to do that because Detroit's just kind of a shit show at all times. <laughs> you think that you think that Harden could just spoon feed him open threes and you can live with whatever limitations he has. He's not a great athlete, but defensively he's, he's got chops. Like he's a smart player. Uh, once again, like I just think it's really hard to find wings. Like, yeah. There's a chance that I'll put it like this. There's a chance that he's a starting level good wing that you're like surprised by. There's a chance he's like a maybe like a what you want from Tobias and like like actually plays that role regularly. There's also a chance he's Torian Prince, where it's just like he's solid at everything, but he's not really that great at anything. Mm. And like he could be like your seventh man, your first wing off the bench who could just shoot threes and, and try on defense, but he's not going to like really matter that much, but he's right. only 23. Like I, I don't hate the idea of trading for Sadiq Bay, even if I'm not like, I would rather get like an injection of athleticism if possible. Yeah. Though. Exactly. He's not super athletic. Would that be uh Daniel house redundant? Kind of just I, a player. Like, yeah, he can shoot three here and there, but I'm I'm like, he's just a player to me. Like, does he do anything great? I think Daniel House sucks. I'm gonna be <laughs> honest. Like, I, I just think that he's like he's one of those guys that like he 
he has moments where you're like, holy shit, Daniel House. But like 80% of the times, you're like, what the yeah. fuck is this I haven't guy seen doing? anything like, impressive from Daniel House yeah. since he's been here. I honestly would rather, and I've been like, I was known for like, people hated me for not liking Thibel for so long. Cause I was just like, I've seen it in the playoffs enough. I'm done mm-hmm. with this guy. Like, I, I don't care about the regular season. I'm done with this guy in the playoffs. And I think I'd still play Thibel over Daniel House. Like, I, I just think that like, Unless he's hitting all of his threes, like he's just not a super useful player. Sadiq Bay would definitely be better than Daniel House, hundred percent. Like, there's yeah. no chance that he wouldn't be. He would probably be moved in that deal, honestly, because he makes like three million a year or whatever it is, or four million. So he probably would have to be included for salary, if anything. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the issue is that Detroit probably wants a first round pick, and we don't have a first round pick. Like. Yep. We can't trade any future first. The be- the best asset we have that isn't a player is um we have a second round pick in uh this upcoming draft that's currently owned by the Charlotte Hornets. So it's actually so we have the Charlotte Hornets first round pick or second round pick next year. Okay. So if that's the case, that's going to be like basically a first round pick. Like that's going to be like the 33rd pick in the draft or 34th. They're going to be really bad. Like I actually am even lower on Charlotte than I am on most of the bad teams mm. because I just think that they just don't play any defense at all. Nope. And if that's the case, like they're probably going to win like 20 games at, at most. Um, and it, and I actually think that's probably our best piece to make an upgrade at this deadline because that second round pick is super valuable to teams that don't want to give a guy like a guaranteed contract, but want to take a flyer on a guy in a, with the second round pick. Yeah. I feel you on that. Uh, people in the chat brought up Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma's on this list. Um, yeah. I mean, if we could get him, I would love it. Kuzma's Kuzma's kind of ex- it. It sounds weird to say, but he's kind of exactly what we're missing. Really good rebounder, uh-huh. really athletic, can shoot the three. Isn't like a great shooter, but in the past, when he's been more of a spot up guy, when he's playing with LeBron and AD, he's better off the catch, just like Tobias. We're mm-hmm. like Tobias. When he's being spoon-fed threes, he can hit them. If he's having to be the one that creates them, it's not going to go great. And right now, he's creating a lot of threes, and it's not going great. But, like, Kuzma, if we could somehow get Kuzma, I don't see a way unless we trade to... Uh, unless the Wizards, like, like Tobias. Like, yeah. if the Wizards like Tobias, we might be able to get Kyle Kuzma and Will Barton. Se- I think you could sell Tobias right now. It had to be, like, right now. Like, he's playing the yeah. best basketball of his career yeah. right now. Other than the 2021 season, probably. Yeah, I, I think that right now would be the highest. That, and also, like, you, even if he sucks, like, you only have one year of him. And, like, they might lose Kyle Kuzma after the season for no reason. Like, he has a player option after the year. Yeah, He said he, he, said he wants to go to a contender. He said he wants to go to uh, a big market if we are to believe the reports. And if that is the case, we could offer both of those things. And I think that we would gladly pay him $25 million after the season yeah. instead of paying to buy us $40 million next year. And Washington is the kind of franchise that just wants to remain relevant, competitive, that kind of stuff. And like you could get Kuzma, Barton, and then the, the tough thing with the Wizards making any trades with them is, you know how we're hard-capped and we can't take back guys like a, above a certain point yeah. because they just make too much money? Like They're also hard-capped, which is funny because like 
you have like 11 wins and you're hard cap. Like, how is that even fucking possible? <laughs> if you ever feel bad about the Philadelphia 76 go check it. out. I literally say, I always say the Wizards <laughs> are the example of the team. Like, if you feel bad, look at them. Like, they're yeah. paying Bradley Beal the second most amount of money of any player in NBA history right now. And I like Bradley Beal, but like, you can't pay Bradley Beal $55 million a year and be a competitive franchise. No. I remember when, you know, every time his contract was coming up or last year, or whatever, it was always trade for Bradley Beal, trade for Bradley Beal. I always thought he was a good scorer, but, uh, you know, yeah. does he, does he make your team? I think Bradley Beal is a number two on a very good championship team. Oh, 100%. But he's yeah, not, I don't, he's not really leading anyone anywhere. No, no, he would have been. The reason I would have traded for Bradley Beal is because Joel Embiid's friends with him. Like, right. it's like, yeah, like, you like, add him like, to Joel Embiid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think he's even maybe a little bit redundant with Maxi. Um, mm-hmm. like I would probably rather have Maxi on a rookie contract than have Bradley Beal making the most amount of money ever. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Barton, like, it is tough to make the numbers work in that kind of trade. Uh. The, the 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 Wizards aren't taking Matisse Thibel, George Niang, and a second round pick for Kyle Kuzma. No. They probably just let him walk in free agency for nothing at that point. So so that's the hard part about getting Kuzma. But uh, Kuzma is the i the, the two ideal targets. Like if you're like want to swing for the fences, which is funny to say about two role players, but like Kuzma and Josh Hart from the Blazers, and I don't think the Blazers are giving him up anytime soon. Yeah, no. Um... No, and you shouldn't. I loved him since you know. No, he's he came really out of the good. draft. Yeah, he's just a yeah. a basketball player. Just a, like Re- we like we said, rebounder. Dribble. Yeah, he can rebound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we we went over Jay Crowder a little bit. The last one on here is one that pe- well, there's two, but one that people keep bringing up that I have absolutely no interest in whatsoever. Cam Reddish. Yeah, I'm not a Cam Reddish guy. I'm going to be honest. I think Cam needs to go to a team. You know how like Kelly Oubre. Mm-hmm. Is in Charlotte right now. I kind of think Cam needs a team like that, where it's like, just give Cam all free reigns, let yeah. him hoop, yeah. let him do what he wants to do, and maybe he can prove that he's like a viable yeah. rotation I mean, NBA yeah. player. I mean, the, yeah. the worst thing that the worst thing that could could have happened to him at this stage of his career is going to Tom Thibodeau, right? Like he's not even he didn't even yeah. get on the he didn't get on the floor for a month. Knicks fans are yelling about it, uh, yeah, and he's still not really giving him a shot. So yeah, they've even been if, better. They've been better since he got dropped from the rotation, and it's the same thing that happened in Atlanta. Like right. I, I, I think that Cam in theory could be a three and D guy, like a guy who can shoot threes and play defense and he's athletic in some ways, not athletic in other ways. Like people think that cause cam looks like an athlete and he was a crazy athlete in high school. Mm-hmm. People think cam's like this hyper athletic guy, but like he has really bad hips. Like he, he kind of moves slow. Like he's, he's not going to stay in front of a ton of guys. And if that is the case, like all of his stuff is more in theory. Like I, I joked the other day I had, a I had a tweet that was, um, flirting versus harassment and it was flirting uh cam reddish 32 percent career three-point shooter harassment matisse thibel 32 percent career <laughs> yeah. three-point shooter like like he's not that good of a shooter like right. he in theory he should be he's a good free throw shooter he has good touch but he's not really as good as most sixers fans think he is uh, exactly I, I, I can still see him thriving in the right context where like he might be like the fourth or fifth option, but he has to buy into that too. He has to be okay with that. And I just don't know if he is at this point because he was a superstar as a recruit. And like, I don't really blame most guys that think that they're the shit when they were. Right. 
Yeah. Well, and and like you said, he's he's not as good as Sixers fans think they are. People hold on to that what what you looked like coming out of college forever, you know. And you can of have course, yeah. you can have five bad seasons with a team that they don't watch, and they'll still be like, "Oh, Cam Reddish." I'm like, "Yeah, but did you have you watched Cam Reddish in the NBA?" Yeah. He's you know? not been good for most of his career, and honestly. He wasn't even really that good at Duke. Like his high school shit was where he was like the star because he was the most athletic big guy in the games that he was playing. And then when he got to a level where everyone was kind of in the same mold as him, he hasn't really been that good. I hope the best for him because I just love, I love to root for Philly guys. And I hope that he can find a role for himself. And I think that like me, the team that I think should trade for him is Cleveland. I think Cleveland yeah. would be because I just think that they're so desperate for wings with size that at least in theory could shoot. Like I could see him as the fifth starter with those four stars and thrive, but the Sixers is just a weird context for him. I don't really love it. You know, I, I would, I don't think it would be good at all. Um, and you know, getting out of the Tom Thibodeau thing and going to Glenn Rivers, uh, like, and they have they have similarities in the in the being hesitant to play guys that haven't proven themselves. They, and things they like both that. So, are fucking boomers. Yeah, it, it, would be, insane. Yeah. it would be terrible for 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 Cam Reddish to go from that to that anyway. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Doc, he would not thrive under Doc. He's not going to do the things Doc wants him to do. Like he it would wouldn't even play him over him still. So Daryl would worry. trade for him, and Doc wouldn't even play him. Exactly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh, uh, the last one on this list is, but well, there's t- actually there's two left. Bojan Bogdanovich, who, oh. uh, he's been talked about in in trade things for a while. Um, and is he the one that got traded from the Kings? There's two Bogdanoviches, right? He's the one that got so, traded from so the Kings. There's th- that's Bojan Bogdanovich, I would imagine. There, there's Bogdan Bogdanovich, and then there's Bojan. This so is Bojan Bogdanovich. He, yeah, yeah, so that's B O J A N. So, so he's on the Pistons right now. He's been. He's been lighting it up for the Pistons this year, to be honest. He's an underrated player. Uh, he would be a fantastic fit on the Sixers. They don't have what it takes to get him, really. But wait, like, wait, wait. I'm pi- I know who he is now. I'm picturing him now. My bad. Yeah, you, yeah, you know Bogdan because he killed us in the Hawks series. Well, he had, yeah. Bogdan was the guy who like made like five threes in game one against the Sixers yep. because Trey was just yep. destroying Danny Green's life. Bojan is the... Uh, Older looking, older looking, balding, balding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So Bojan, Bojan is balding. He's, but he's like kind of a hooper in a weird way. Like he doesn't look like a hooper at all, but like really good off the dribble, really good shooter. Like the one of the best shooters in the NBA. Like off movement in the corner, off the dribble. Like he's just like an elite shooter. Uh And he also is like kind of an underrated defender for the same reasons that like some of the guys like we were talking about earlier were like they don't have the greatest athleticism, but like they're just super like smart. Like they've just been mm-hmm. playing basketball for so long that they can kind of figure out like where they need to be on the court. Uh, and he one of the reasons why he struggled in in. Uh, Utah was because they needed him to be like the point of attack defense. There was a famous clip where like Daniel House freaked out on him last playoffs, where he was like, "You need to stay in front of your fucking guy," and like <laughs> was like screaming at him. And Bojan played great defense for like the rest of the series. Like, like he is one of those guys that like could really change the fortunes of the Sixers. But once again. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough to get him. You probably have a better chance getting Bogdan Bogdanovich because Bogdan has a knee injury and he's and he's got one more year left in his deal. And I think Atlanta's more in like a let's move on from this guy mode. Uh whereas yeah. the the Pistons actually apparently really like uh Bojan and 
they didn't trade Jeremy Grant until way after his trade value was high. Yep. So I think that they're okay with sitting on guys and like if they think that he's good for the locker room and shit. And yeah, yeah, and you and you would you would again your only asset really in that trade would be would involve Tobias Harris probably and Detroit sure. Detroit's not not looking for a thirty five million dollar dance. Exactly. Yeah, they did that dance with Tobias before. The problem with well, yeah. Tobias is he played for half of the teams in the. NBA. I was just gonna say I forgot he even <laughs> played for Detroit. Yeah, he has. Oh, we already had him. There's only yeah. half the teams left for us to even trade Tobias too. Exactly. Uh, I'm still really high on Thibault, but honestly, I I I'm kind of okay with keeping Thibault as an off the bench change of pace guy. Yeah. Maybe maybe not even for the playoffs, but just as like a like a Swiss Army knife dude you can throw off the bench. Well, do you do you feel like Thibault? Uh, I think he's a victim of a lack of development in the Sixers organization. Part of it. 100%, part of yeah. it. Um. But he, he definitely never really had any basketball IQ. He's an athletic as hell player who can on the steal. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's he's insane defensively. His instinct. Yeah. But, I, but I think defense, I used to say the same thing about Ben Simmons. I, I think defense is a lot of instinct and a lot of just being able to, you know, use your athleticism in your body and get in the right spots versus dribbling a ball, knowing where to go with the ball sure. and, and, and things like that. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, Thibault's like an off-the-court smart guy. But like on the court, kind of a bozo, like where like he just doesn't. But I also think that's a huge confidence thing. Like I just don't think he uh-huh. has any confidence in his offensive game, and and, and right. that's really what it comes down to for him. Like if he makes his corner threes, he's like a twelve-year, fifteen-year NBA player. Yep. If he misses his corner threes, he's out of the league in like probably <laughs> eight or nine years. Like that. That's yeah. kind of what it just comes down to. Like he's maybe one of the most black and white players in terms of. He has a role in the league or he doesn't. There's not a ton of gray area for him. But once again, I do think that like a more creative coach could kind of just figure out how to use Thibault uh-huh. in a way that well, is what, not like... Well, part of my film breakdown that, that I posted ye- uh, yesterday was uh, some plays from Thibault because he was all of a sudden I'm watching a game and Thibault's in the paint, Thibault's cutting, Thibault's setting screens and rolling. And I'm like, yeah. where did this come from? Like, how did the Sixers just come up with an entire plan for Matisse Thibel overnight? And and in the Kings game, it looked totally different than it looked. And there, there's a specific play where uh, I think Harden drives baseline, PJ slides to the corner, and Thibel shifts over to the wing and catches and shoots a wide open three. And I'm like, that's even a little bit of basketball IQ right there to know where yeah. to put yourself when the guy's driving baseline in this. So I saw some good signs in the Kings game versus sure. what I've seen for like a lot of his career as far as, you know, his. His lack well, of basketball D- IQ. And Danny Danny has always said in practice, he even said it after he left the Sixers. He said, Thibel used to hit every shot in practice and that we had to guard him like he was me. And like, <laughs> if that's the case, that's a confidence issue. Like, that's uh-huh. not like a, that's not a fundamental issue with the player. That's a, that's a confidence issue. And with more reps and with more playing, like, Look, I know yeah. he's not close to the level of shooter as this player that we let go, but like we're seeing it with Isaiah Joe now, where like if he gets regular run with another team and he's within a system and he's playing and he's a rhythm guy, he's gonna hit shots. And the the frustrating thing with with like I've been saying for fucking two years with Isaiah Joe is like get him into a rhythm, run plays for him, nope. let him be feel like he's involved. Yeah. And my biggest problem with the Sixers has always been that it's just a lot of standing around and like. Yeah, I, I part of it is the coach, part of it is the stars, but like let guys feel like they're involved with the offense, let guys feel like they're part of the team, and I guarantee you you will like the results that come from it. 
Well, Glenn has this this uh, complex where he feels like he's the most accomplished coach in NBA history, <laughs> yes, and yes. and that and that players must come to him again. Five years of experience at a high level. Like I don't have time for you learning the game, and so there's no sure. development whatsoever. I had a midget football coach when I was a kid who everybody hated uh, because nobody got to play. And he literally said one time, he was like, it's not my job to develop kids. It's your, you need to come to me with talent. And I was like, dude, first of all, you're, you're a midget football coach in, in a small town. Like, what is going on here? You're a maniac. I think he, I think he's in jail or something. But anyway, uh, Glenn kind of reminds me of that. Like, that's who I think of. I think of this weird guy that was back in my hometown, like this the midget football coach. But yeah, he's like, you need to come to me fully developed and ready to win championships. I don't have time for you to learn the game. It's literally your job to do that. Like that, 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 that's the thing that's always frustrated me is that the young, and it's not even just, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about now where it's like the young guys just have the shortest leash of all time. Uh-huh. They make one mistake. They blow a defensive rotation. They foul. They turn the ball over and you could see it. You could see the look on Joe's face when he played for the team. You can see the look on Paul Reed's face. You can see the look on a lot of these guys. Even Maxi early in his career, they knew they would get pulled. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I always use this. This is my example. I have a buddy who's a Clippers writer, and he's one of the smarter basketball guys that I know. And he always would tell me that Shea was a star. From like the day he stepped foot on the Clippers court as a rookie, he was like, Shea Gilles Alexander is going to make multiple all NBA teams. This guy is incredible. And the, the Clippers had to trade Avery Bradley because doc rivers would not play him enough minutes. Mm-hmm. Like he is now an MVP candidate player in his rookie season. He had to, another example of this when he was with the Clippers was Reggie Bullock for his first three years in the NBA. He never gave Reggie any run. And he said, my friend who was, I always believed in Reggie Bullock. Reggie Bullock goes to his second team and he becomes a good 3 and D player. Like there's mm-hmm. just too many examples of this throughout Doc's career. When, like, And my whole thing is like, if we were winning titles or we were getting to the conference finals, we we're getting to the finals, I would be yeah. fine with this. Mm-hmm. Like Warriors fans were fine with it last year. Yeah. But if you're just fucking doing this, there's no benefit to pick a direction or one of the other. You're either winning now or you're developing guys. Like you can do both at the same time. Miami's done it forever. Toronto's done it forever. Figure it out. Seriously. Yeah. Stop being lazy. Be a creative coach. Get your assistant assistance involved well, if mean, possible. Well, that, that's the main thing I say when I talk about changing coaches. I want, you know, somebody more motivated, somebody that's that, somebody that wasn't about to retire before you offered him a bunch of money. He literally you, was you about pull, to retire. I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> pull, pull fucking Sam Casella up from the bench. Yeah. Pull Dan Burke up from the bench. Dave Yeager. They these guys are hungry, dude. Mm-hmm. Like they want to be coaches. Like, yeah, Dan Burke got two good games out of Isaiah Joe in in four games that he coached when Doc had COVID. He got an 18 point game out of Isaiah Joe and 11 points the next night, and then he never played again the rest of the season. Uh, so you know that's me. That's me with Glenn. Now that we're on the topic, I guess I'll ask you your opinion. Do you think? If the Sixers don't get uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals this season, is is Glenn let go, or is yeah. it, or is yeah, it? I think you he think so? has to be. Yeah, I think he kind of has to be. Uh, I mean, look, maybe ownership says we don't want to eat the contract, but like that's my big you, fear. That's my yeah. big fear because I don't want to see another season of it. I'm seeing the same thing. Sure. Uh, 
once again, regular season, I don't really care about the results. I only care about the process and the, the playoffs is where doc has always failed. Like there's been multiple iterations of multiple teams, Kawhi Leonard Clippers, Paul, uh, uh, Chris Paul Clippers, Sixers in B like, there have been many iterations of Doc Rivers teams that have failed. Even some of my Celtics fans' friends will tell me, we should have won more than we did with that fucking trio and Rajon Rondo coming into... like. Oh, absolutely. Like, it should have been a dynasty. That's the, th- that's the thing that's under-discussed with Doc, is that like he gets credit for the 08 title, but like Celtics fans are like, we should have won like three or four titles. Like, yeah. like that team was really fucking good. And well, like, the, well, it doesn't no help reason. that they it doesn't help that they beat LeBron and then he went to Miami and formed a super team, you know. Sure. So so that, that you know that doesn't help, but at the same time, you had the, that was two years after they beat LeBron the first time. Yeah. They had the next year, and then KG did get injured the one year, so they had an excuse. But most of those years they should have been at least like I would say the year after, like they got back to the finals, they lost to the Lakers, like like they they were the better t- like and look Kobe's an all time great like I'm not taking anything away from Kobe but like you have Kevin Garnett Paul Pierce Ray yeah. Allen and Rajon Rondo coming up you should beat the Lakers Kobe and Pal Gasol with Kobe and Pal like, Lamar just, Odom yeah like it, it, exactly like you should just win the, that series like you're the better team yeah. so so um so my whole thing with Doc is like. I don't really care about the regular season. If you can perform in the playoffs and you can get us to the Eastern Conference Finals, I'm fine with keeping you. I also am kind of like a coaching doesn't really matter unless you're one of the bottom 10% of coaches. Uh, but like in the playoffs, stock doesn't give you an advantage in any series in the Eastern Conference. I think that the Celtics have a better coach. I think the Bucks have a better coach. I think the Raptors have a better coach. I think the Heat have a better coach. I think even now with Jock Vaughn, with the Nets, like the Nets might have a better coach. So like, there's really no coaching advantages that you have. And like Steve Nash was the one guy that I was like, we might just like Steve Nash just fucking sucks. And like <laughs> Toronto, Toronto, we lost to, or we beat Toronto last year, but like the talent gap was massive. It should have, yeah. it honestly should have been closer to a four game sweep than it was. And, and it re- the series wasn't really all that close despite the little scare we had, but like, I don't know. I just don't think Doc gives you an advantage in any capacity. He doesn't develop talent. He does. He's not a great playoff coach. He's not a great X's and O's guy. Right. And at the end of the day, his best job is like motivator, I guess. But like, if we lose again, that clearly he's 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 lost the these stars, and that's all yeah. that matters. Yeah. My my biggest fear if we lose again is that is that like you said that that the ownership w- would be like, well, we owe him fifty million dollars for two more years, so we're just not going to do that. Fuck you guys. <laughs> sure. We don't care. <laughs> It's only sixteen million after this so, year, so maybe they could eat it. So yeah, so I've started talking to my 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 followers and subscribers in a mindset of like, uh, uh, we're stuck with him, so there's no point in me continuing to say we need to get rid of him. We need to try to win with him, and he won in Boston because they just flat out had good enough players on the team. So we just need to hope that we just have good enough players on the court that can beat the other team. So Jimmy Butler needs to force a trade and say, also, uh, I won't, I, I won't go, I won't go there if you trade Tyrese Maxey, basically. That's, that's basically what needs to happen is that we need to be able to form our own version of it. Kevin yeah. Garnett is Joel Embiid, James Harden is Paul Pierce, uh, Jimmy Butler, or let's say James Harden's Ray Allen, Jimmy Butler's Paul Pierce, 
uh, Rajon Rondo, Tyrese Maxey. That's the only way that it ever possibly happens. Yeah, you need a fourth. If that, and like, maybe that's Tobias Harris. Maybe he's a you know, eh. it's not well, four. It's not four Hall of Famers, but here's the thing: if we're still stuck with Doc after this season, and Doc loses again in the playoffs in, a, in an embarrassing fashion, and the team loses in the first or second round or whatever. Then who's who's everyone's eyes going to turn to? I think look, Daryl Morey. It is, and and if everyone turns to Daryl Morey, he knows that his job is going to be under siege, and he will fire the coach because you only fire the coach when your job is in trouble as a GM. And that's where Daryl Morey have the power to fire Doc Rivers. I think he does, but I think it's only under extreme circumstances. I think it's only under. Fuck, we can't do. We're locked into this roster with no picks to trade, with nowhere to go, basically, which is what they would be in after this season unless they want to trade Maxi. And I don't think they want to trade Maxi, and no. they shouldn't. They should so, well, well, okay, let me ask you. I know we, we've been trying to wrap up for like 20 fucking minutes here, but <laughs> let me ask you. I don't have anything to do. <laughs> if Jimmy Butler said after the season, because that's the one guy that I think might say, I could go back to Philly. He loved Philly. He loved Philly. He loves Joel. If he said to you, I want to go back to Philly, you got to trade Maxi. Would you do it? No. No. So, no. so that's easy that's, answer for me. No. That's a that's the thing. It's like I said over the summer, I would tr- and it would break my heart. Look, I have the Maxi Better Sadly mug. I'm the number one Tyrese Maxi guy. I've loved him since he was at Kentucky. I've always been a huge Maxi guy. Mm-hmm. When Kevin Durant was available for trade, I said, if if there is a possibility you can get Kevin Durant, you just get Kevin Durant. Like That's just kind of what it comes down to for me, and I would break my allegiances with my favorite player to say, you got fucking Kevin Durant. Like Kevin Durant is changes your franchise. You win a title with Kevin Durant. Yeah, you probably do. Easy. Yeah, you probably do. I, I'm, more, mean, I'm more of a... Mean, there's a lot of times that I will swallow my pride on things, but I, I'm yeah. more of a... I would not enjoy having Kevin Durant on my basketball team. Uh, okay. And no, I think that makes you obviously uh, a title contender, a uh, title favorite. But, I just, I just want to say one game where he comes out, like first game of the season, he pulls up, he hits like five threes. He's he's doing things that we've never seen a Sixers player do before. It's one of those things. Like, like it's one of those things where I would have, I've, I've, I've had disdain for his personality his whole career. So it's one of those things where I, I guess I don't like it because I would then have to try to force myself to root for Kevin Durant, and I don't want that to happen. And so I'm glad that it's probably never going to happen because I don't want that to happen. But I agree. If you're just going, if, 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 you're, front if, if your goal, yeah, if your goal is to win it. the title, yeah, yeah. like they, they, you trade for Jimmy Butler, you trade for Kevin Durant, you trade for those guys that are like like needle movers. But at the same time, anyone outside of that class, I would have never entertained any sort of trade for Tyrese Maxey. And I think I'm that. I think I'm that weird, like old school guy that's like, oh, I'd rather do it the right way. You know, sure. what I mean? everyone's like, okay, weirdo, like you want to be mediocre forever. I'm like, eh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe kind of, I it do. Keeps, it, it keeps it a little bit entertaining, right? Like you're always striving for something. Yeah. How, uh, especially as a sports talk person, how interesting was it to talk about the 2016 Warriors? Hey, we blew someone out again. Uh, next night. Hey, look, we smoked if, everybody. We swept the whole playoffs. Hey, we won a championship. Like eh, it is boo, true, boring. but if we had if we had one dominant team like that, think about all of the like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I was like. 
riding that dopamine high for like six months. Like uh-huh. I was like rewatching it. Yeah. I was just talking to my friends about it all the time. Like uh-huh. there is that element of it too, where it's just like, you never feel like you're going to come down from the high of, of winning the, the title. And if it, if it gets Joel and B to talk, I think Joel deserves one. Yeah. So, so I would that, be happy about that. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing. It's like, I wouldn't trade Maxi just because I, personally have too much invested in him on the team and his success. But like at a certain point, you're either the CJ McCollum, Dame, Dame Lillard, Portland trailblazers, or you're the cutthroat, uh, Kawhi Leonard Raptors. Like that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of what it comes down to. Right. Like, so uh, wh- whichever direction you want to go in, I don't really care. Cause I love the, I love Maxi and I love Embiid, but like I-, I could go either direction. Yeah. At, at, at 22, Maxi's path is just it's I don't it, we're going to see something crazy in the next five years from Tyrese. Yeah, Maxie. he's incredible and he never stops working. He's like hurts man like where he's just like he's never out of the gym. Right. He never stops working. He's going right. to get better just because every young player except for Ben Simmons in the history of the NBA has gotten better. Uh, and he's not and, one of those guys that people have to be like, if it, you know, he's not good. And they're, they're, they're like, well, he's he's still only 27. You know, they keep throwing his age out there. I'm like, bro, this is getting closer to 30. And you're still saying it's knock it off. At least these guys, these guys are 22. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think that Maxi is going to be a second guy. But if you have the first guy, then you can make it work. Yeah, I guess I'm not really seeing. I say that he could become Damian Lillard, but I'm not seeing that. I mean, he could develop that mindset. He still just so, had, he still just has like a young mindset. As so far as also the thing I will say with Dame is the Dame is twenty two as a rookie and Maxie's twenty two right now. So and the thing with Dame that's a little bit different is that as a ball handler he was much more advanced yeah, yeah, than yeah. Maxie. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, a as a guy who could run an offense at twenty two he came and he won rookie of the year he was in, he was an all star his second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I, I view Maxi as more and as I said earlier, we're like, I don't think he's nearly as good as these players. But like that Devin Booker, that uh Steph Curry, like he's not gonna be that level of player, but like he could be Bradley Beal, like a young Bradley Beal who's easy a second guy on a title team. Like, yeah. like he's gonna be that guy that can that that can affect the game when he doesn't even touch the ball. I just love the uh, I love the fact that I, I think just last year we were saying this guy could potentially one day be a twenty five point per game scorer. And sure, he already is basically right now. Like when he gets them, when he's healthy and he gets the minutes, he's a t- he scores twenty five in his sleep at this point. Yeah, yeah, happy yeah, about no, that. He's incredible. The last he's one had- on the list is uh, go That's ahead. Awesome. You can finish. Awesome. The last one on the list is Eric Gordon, and uh, look, I like Eric Gordon's style. I, I, I think he brings. I think he would bring something uh, to the team if you get him for whatever you get him for. But the fact that it's another uh, 2017 Houston Rocket, I'm over it. I'm over. Yeah, I'm it. good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't want Eric Gordon. And also, like, it's almost impossible to give up Eric Gordon without giving up Tobias, like, because of the salary cap stuff. He makes almost $20 million a year. I think we're better with Tobias than we yeah. would be with Eric Gordon. Right. What's so. he giving you that Tobias doesn't give you? I, yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not seeing it from Gordon. I, I feel, I was going to say I feel bad for him. I don't feel bad for a multimillionaire playing a game for a living, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, he's like, damn it, I'm stuck here. Like, I'm 30-plus yeah. I would love to be on a title contender and I'm stuck playing with Jalen Green and uh 
you know, whoever else. Not that those guys don't have promise, but like that team. They will be good, but not yeah. while he's there. Right. Like it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, anything else? Anything else you want to throw out there? I guess the last thing I had on here is that Steph Curry's out tomorrow. So does anybody care about the game tomorrow? I mean, we better care. I hope the Sixers care because they, yeah. as we said earlier, they tend to sleepwalk into these games when guys aren't playing. But it's national television. I think they might want to send a little bit of a message. Three days rest. Yeah, let's go. They do I'm... show they do show up for big games, and that's kind of annoying because it's like, oh, you guys only care when you're on ESPN, <laughs> you know? Like, 100%. last year was it? Last year they blew the Bucks out, or two years ago on Christmas Day, and yeah. set records for, and they were they were 2019, not... 2020, it was three years, yeah, yeah. And that team was frustrating as hell outside of that one game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But they decided to try on Christmas Day, and they were a fucking dynasty that day. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So last thing, uh, listen to my podcast, you know, ball, uh, if you, know you like ball. it, subscribe to the Patreon and then, uh, we'll, I'll actually be streaming for Sixers bucks tomorrow. Uh, or I'm sorry, Sixers bucks, Sixers warriors tomorrow, uh, on playback TV. So you can follow me at trail bro dude. And I'll be tweeting out the links all day tomorrow. And then nice. we'll be watching. You can literally watch the game with me. It's like Manning cast. So you can check that out. Playback.tv. Is that what that is? Playback.tv slash you know ball. But if you just follow me on Twitter at Trill Bro Dude, you'll be seeing me tweeting out the link a lot tomorrow on Friday. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. For those that don't know, that's a a new ish uh, platform where you enter your cable provider information, the same as you would on to stream on YouTube TV or whatever other streaming service, and you get to watch the game with the content creator reacting to the game live and talking yeah. to you in the chat yeah. and stuff. So. so we call the game just like it's Manning Cast. It's like basically identical to Manning Cast, which is awesome. It's been a ton of fun. We talk to people and we also, if you have things you need to say, you can stage requests and we can pull you up on stage during it too. So we've had some pretty funny moments with that. That's cool. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah man. Hey, thanks for coming on. This was a blast. This was a blast, yeah. man. Um, this was a lot was a of blast. fun. Thank and you. You definitely seem like you go very in depth when it comes to to trade talks and things like that. So you know, every anyone that's not subscribed to the podcast or doesn't listen to it, if you're really into the nitty gritty, we're talking moving money, contracts, players, oh, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, check out the new you know ball slop season, slop season, baby. Yeah, we I'm got into it. it man. I'm into it. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, bud. Oh, keep in contact. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for everybody nice. here. Hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to New You No Ball. All that stuff, man. We're out of yes, here. Sir. Quit testing me. Don't make me lose my mind. Don't make me lose my mind. Don't make me lose my mind. Cause I'm looking like Wesley. Test me. Don't make me lose my mind. Don't make me lose my mind. Test me, test me, test me, test me, test me, test me.